Welcome to the ISTC monthly podcast, where you can keep up to date with what's going on at the ISTC and in technical communications in the UK and globally. The ISTC is the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators, and our members work to make scientific and technical information more accessible. I'm Amanda Ma, your host. I'm a member of the ISTC and a freelance technical author. Each month, the podcast team plan to bring you interviews with people working in scientific and technical communication across a diverse range of industries, as well as all the latest news and events from our profession. This month, I'm very lucky to be talking with Jane van der Ban, lead content designer at gov.uk. In her current role, Jane supports publishing on the government website that relates to coronavirus and other government priorities. So as you can imagine, she is very busy. Welcome to the ISTC podcast, Jane. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Great. You started in publishing and marketing. Can you tell us how that led you into content management? Okay, so my background is actually pure publishing rather than marketing. So I worked for the University of London external program editing print subject guides for distance learners. So students used to sign up to do degrees with us, and then we'd send them guides on all kinds of subjects to support their learning. This was obviously in the days before Blackboard and other digital support tools. Anyway, I was the first editor hired to work on the guides, so it was my job to convert academic manuscripts into distance learning study materials. So that's where I started, really. The marketing role was actually a bit of a red herring. It was part of the role I took on at Birkbeck, University of London, when I was ready to move on. And to be honest, I figured out pretty quickly that it wasn't really for me, because this was before digital marketing was a thing. The job was about placing course ads in print material to very short deadlines, and it wasn't really something I wanted to do long term. Mm. So luckily, I worked with really great managers, and when I told them I wanted to change because I was a bit bored, they asked me if I wanted to work on the Birkbeck website as their first web editor. So up till then, the website had been a purely technical space. So it was a new thing to get a content editor involved. So I was the first one. But it was it was a fantastic opportunity. I'm so grateful that they gave it to me because I ended up being in the role for 15 years, by which time the job had grown and digital content design was really well established. So everything changed around me, but I stayed in the role. And the reason I stayed there is because websites are constantly evolving and you have to keep learning to keep up with them. And I used to say to people that the reason I'm staying is my job here is not yet done. Yeah. Then we introduced the Birkbeck Digital Transformation Project and I was the content lead. And halfway through, I looked up and around and I realized that actually my job was going to be done. So we were finally fixing all the things that I'd wanted to fix and it was gonna happen. And basically once we'd done it, I'd done the things that I'd really set myself. So I needed some new challenges. And so I started looking around. I saw a job advertised at the government digital service. So if you're a digital content manager in the public sector, which I was, you will know about GDS. So GDS is, you know, is so well known. So about nine years ago, they took 2000 microsites, converted them into a single gov.uk platform. And along the way, they blogged about it, they talked about it, they worked in the open in a way I hadn't really seen before. In fact, I heard about them years ago, and then I started reading their blogs. So they pretty much rewrote the book on digital content design, including putting user-centered design at the heart of everything they did. So I loved what they did, and I had already introduced some of their techniques into my own work. So when I saw the ad, I thought, brilliant, I'll apply, you know, 
Yeah, I thought it's good experience apart from anything else. I never thought I'd get it. Um, but I did get it. I applied for the role of senior content designer, which I was really lucky enough to get, really delighted, did that for a bit. And then I applied for another role, which I also got. And then I got the role that I currently have, which is lead content designer. Yeah. And that's how I got it. That is fascinating. So you are now lead content designer. Can you tell us what you do in that role? Yeah, I can. Uh, well, it's a relatively new role for GDS. It's an existing role in other parts of the civil service. For GDS, it's a relatively new role, and so it's still evolving. But lead content designers sit between the operational teams, the ones who are delivering the work, and the senior management team who are doing strategy, and they make sure that the operational teams are meeting the objectives while ensuring that the senior managers have enough information to make good strategic decisions about the direction of the program. Mm -hmm. So it's a job that straddles the operational and the strategic space, although I have to say the only content I'm involved with is writing job descriptions and stuff like that. I don't do any content <laughs> design on the on the web anymore. Yeah, you so, don't get down and dirty and actually doing any no, any written no. content. You know, because I started in digital content design when websites first started really happening, I've done it all, been there, bought the T-shirt. So I know exactly what people ha are doing and so really can talk about it, but I don't do the doing. But I really support a lot of people who are, and I try to make sure that they are skilled, that they've got the training, they've got the support, they've got the development, you know, that they're actually ready to face all the challenges that are in front of us. Yeah. Um, but also because it's a relatively new role, there's another lead, Anna, she and I work together. And what we're currently focusing on is setting up and finalizing a bunch of processes, including a new annual recruitment plan. So I'm very process oriented. I like to get processes sorted. So there's a lot of work in this space. So actually I find this uh, quite satisfying, which sounds sad, but they're re it's really important. Yeah. And really excited about the annual recruitment plan because what we do is we re we hire really great people to do our content design all through the year, and we're always looking for new staff to join us, particularly from sectors outside the civil service, so that we can continue to develop our skills and knowledge, but also because the work that we do is for everybody in the UK. So really yeah. we want to have as wide a spread of people involved in the content design as possible. Oh, so how big is it? I understand the individual government departments have their own content teams, but GDS yeah, yeah, yeah. is the centre of the whole thing. So, yeah. yeah, so GDS was the one that kicked it all off, really, so about 10 years ago in building Gov.UK. And then what happened, which happens in big institutions, it happens in university, is GDS is kind of a central team. And then you have a whole bunch of departments who over the years have recruited their own content design staff. Yeah. They're really skilled up. You know, you've got equivalent numbers. GDS, I think, has about 80 content designers. I've lost track a little bit, but it's something like that, maybe a bit more, a few yeah. less, I don't know. It's constantly evolving because it's quite a dynamic space. So we get a lot of people moving in. People can move around a lot. That's, you know, I'm on to my fourth job since I've joined GDS. Having been in my previous role for 15 years, you know, you sort of get addicted to this moving around business because there's so many opportunities. It's fantastic. So, yeah, people do move around a lot. So the numbers are fluctuating, but I think it's around 80. So it's quite a big content design. Yeah, it's a big team. Isn't it? What are the other yeah. roles that you've done? So what are the other interesting bits that you've worked on? Well, it's all, to be honest, it's all content. I worked for the University of London and I did some work doing editing on research on drug and alcohol behavior, which was just fascinating. And I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. 
Yes, I basically I work with researchers to turn their amazing research findings into really accessible reports because basically they would spend, you know, they could spend three years doing a research project. And until I worked with them, they'd write up their results in the last six weeks of whatever it was and then present that as the findings. But the problem is nobody was involved with the research, but they saw the findings. And without giving that the right kind of time and attention, they weren't they were doing themselves a disservice. So that was a really interesting job. Because academic writing is a different style of writing. It may not be easily digestible. Absolutely. So academic writing is a specialist skill. It tends to be for other specialists. So, you know, whatever kind of research you're doing, they have to write like that. That's how they're trained. But actually, it's not going to work in the digital space you have to adapt the ways of writing to the audience that you're trying to reach. And in the digital space, you've got to be really great at being able to get information across to your audience in the way that is best for them, because people on the web, their attention span is much shorter than in other sorts of spaces. And also you can't make anyone stay on a web page, right? So there's nothing you can do to make people. You can bring them to water, but you can't make them drink. You can bring them to your web page, but there's nothing you can do to make them digest your content. So you've got to do an awful lot of work to make sure that they can get access to it. And so that kind of writing isn't appropriate for that. But that kind of writing is appropriate for a lot of other places. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you find that your work is reactive? As in, does it depend on what's happening in the news and what people are actually looking for? Well, GDS, along with other civil service departments, helps to deliver on government objectives. So it's the nature of the beast that the job is very reactive. And of course, for the past couple of years, first with Brexit and then with COVID on top, we had no choice but to work almost entirely in the reactive space because we had to ensure that information on Brexit and COVID was up to date and available when people needed it in a fast moving space. This is changing a bit, but there will always be a reactive element to our work, depending on what the government needs to deliver and the problems we need to solve to ensure that people get the information they need on gov.uk. But I wouldn't say it's reactive based on what people are searching for. So Gov.UK as a website is more than 500,000 pages. And we are we're publishing information for absolutely anyone who wants to do anything in the UK. If you want to live, work, study, do all three, that's who the audience is. And just to give you some idea of the numbers, weekly, currently we're averaging about 17 million views of our content a week. So... (laughs) That's an awful lot of users yeah. who are accessing. So you can't be that reactive. You've got to have some sort of strategy. But COVID and Brexit did actually change things quite dramatically in that space. Yeah, yeah. So given that your audience is all of the population of the UK, how do you kind of get a handle on who you're talking to and how do you speak to your audience? Yeah, that is, that's a really good question. So CDS is user-centered, right? So users are at the heart of all of our work. And, you know, if you can imagine you've got 17 million visitors a week, that's an awful lot of people to get your head around in terms of making sure that your content are reaching them. But what we have at GDS, which is fantastic, is we have user researchers and performance analysts who specialize in understanding how people are reacting to our content, what they're searching for, what they need. Uh, They do this by talking to people, looking at the analytics, checking feedback, engaging with them. So they're constantly sort of checking in to see what people are looking for. So we have access to a really incredible resource. And then we use all of this to inform our content work. It's one of the things about GDS. When I first started at GDS, because in higher education, 
you're lucky if you have any of that kind of resource, truthfully. I mean, yeah. I did all of those things when I was working at Birkbeck simply because there wasn't that much resource, or people, I should say. And GDS, of course, knows how important the user-centered approach is, but you have to make sure that there are people who are dedicated to figuring that out and can find it out so that you can actually inform the work. So when I first started, I have to say, for the first, first couple of months, I kept saying, so I'm sorry, what does that guy do? And they'd say, well, He's the user researcher and he's responsible for doing this. And I go, Why well, you've got someone else who does that? That's amazing. Yeah. And, said, and, and what does she and what does she do? And they'd say, Well, that's a performance analyst, and they're there to actually look at the analytics and to understand the trends and to understand what's happening when people are engaging with the website. I was like, Seriously, you've got somebody else to do that? That's absolutely brilliant. So, you know. These are really important roles. I'm now used to having them. I don't know. I, I don't think I could survive without them now. So. <laughs> having a performance analyst and user researchers must be brilliant. Could you give us an example of how their input changes how the content is made? So user researchers and performance analysts, they do different things. So performance analysts specialize in understanding how readers are finding the information, how they're responding to it and what they're doing after reading it. And they do this by using Google Analytics typically or other analytics tools. So one thing they might look into, for example, is uh, a really common metric that is the bounce rate, for example. A bounce rate measures if somebody hits a page, spends less than five seconds on it, and then doesn't look at anything else. Mm -hmm. And that can be a measure that actually people are, they're not engaging with your content, and there may be a reason that they're not. So if a performance came to me and said, Look, nobody's spending any time on that page, on that really important page that you've published. Nobody's looking at it. Then that would be a trigger for me to go away and look at it and think, do I expect people to spend more than five seconds on this page? Do I expect them to do something with them? If I expected them to spend some more time on this page and they're not doing it, then there could be an indication that there's something about it which isn't working. And that could be any number of things. It could be, for example, if there's a graphic on a page that people don't like, or it could be the search keyword that they use to get to that page actually is misleading and it's not yeah. the result that they were expecting. And people are really impatient on the web and that kind of stuff is just a trigger. So performance analysts and user researchers, they basically give you threads that you can follow in terms of figuring out if something needs to be done, if there's a real problem with your content and if you need to do something about it. They can say, look, they're not spending that much time on this page or what's happening is when they hit this page, they're using internal search to get off the page. So they're not in the right place. And so there's something about the way that the content has been put together, whether it's the search engine optimization, the way that people are finding it, that kind of stuff. So there's yeah. all kinds of things. It's like a big puzzle. It's like a big puzzle. You have to be a detective to some extent, I think, if you're working in content. But it's all fun. I think yeah. it's great. I just think it's the most fun you can have. Yeah, it's a great resource to have at your fingertips as well. Yeah. What kind of tools or tips or anything that you have found particularly useful in your work that works for you and that's made your work easier? Yes, I mean, there's any number of tools out there. Google obviously has a whole suite of tools that can sort of help you in terms of doing content design. But in terms of organizing your work, I would say I've been using Trello for years. It's not the only tool like it, but it's a fantastic kind of project organization tool. It's mm -hmm. like the best to-do list you can have um, because you can <laughs> organize your work. 
You can actually put it into done columns when you're done, which is really satisfying, but it enables you to keep a record of what you've done in relation to individual tasks. And the advantage of that is if somebody else needs to pick it up part way or see how, what you're doing with it, or they need to report up, they don't actually have to have you there in order to understand that. They can just get access to a board. So it's a fantastic way to work collaboratively. And I think in the last year and a bit where we've all been online and working in the digital space, it's even more important that you have these really effective tools in order to share the work, make sure yeah. that other people can work with you. I'd say in terms of tips, I do have a tip. It's sort of a career development tip. My top tip is to grab chances to develop skills, right? Mm -hmm. Really, really need to do that. So nobody cares about your career development more than you do unless it's your mother. So if you want to progress onto other things, it's really up to you to take charge. So it's something I've benefited from. So I learned really, really useful skills by doing other things and grabbing opportunities. So for example, I became a union rep early on in my career, and then I was the branch chair of one of the Birkbeck unions for a number of years. And that taught me how to negotiate and build trust, both of which are absolutely critical skills for content specialists. So it, bleed, it, it bled into my professional life. But I also, I volunteered as a Birkbeck governor for three years, and that taught me loads about higher education funding and how it works, but it also taught me how to communicate really effectively with senior people. Yeah. So when I first started, I was in a room of people, because governors are not typically already working at the institution that you're working at. What they do is they come in from all walks of life. So I was sitting at a table with really senior people you know, people from the city, people from all sorts of places. And when I first started as a governor, I used to listen to them and I used to think, where do you learn to talk like that? Because they would say, they would give feedback in a way which sounded like the most positive thing you've ever heard, even if they were saying something that wasn't particularly, maybe not so nice. Like you could have yeah. phrased it in a way that somebody, you would have hurt somebody's feelings. But the way that they phrase it, and that was a huge learning experience, and that really taught me how to engage with senior managers. And then the other thing I did was I did two at Birkbeck University of London is a specializes in part-time evening study. And I did two part-time master's degrees when I was there, not at the same time. What that taught me, and honestly, I, I go on about it at work, is that taught me how to be an incredible time manager. So that has been beneficial in every one of my jobs and in my personal life. So I'm a ruthless prioritizer in terms of work because you'll always have way more work to do than you're actually able to deliver. So you've got to deliver on the most important things. And so this is a real skill that can be learned. I bang on about it to people. I run sessions on it because it's really just transformative if you can actually get your head around that. Oh, right. So do you run sessions on it within GDS? Yeah. Oh, and if I'm and some of my line reports, I'll say I'm going to do time management training with you. And then I, I do a time management training session with them because it, it frees you up to get the work done. Yeah. That's the thing. So these are all ways to enable you to get the work done that you need to get done. Yeah. Excellent. If there was one thing you could change to make your work easier, what would that be? That is an interesting question. So apart from actually finding me more time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd really change anything. But what I am aware of is having come through the year that we've gone through, which was really, really full on. 
what I want to do is build in some time to do some learning and development for myself, particularly oh. around coaching and mentoring. So yeah. GDS really values its staff, like other parts of civil service, um, and, and really, really encourages learning and development. So it's something that I really want to take advantage of, and um, it's something that I, I want to be doing. So, so yes, that's why I need more time. You just want to learn more stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Always learning. I mean, that's that's what content design. That's one of the things I love about content design work and working in content, digital content in particular, is you're constantly having to learn new stuff. Yeah, and you've got to because stuff changes. Like over the years, I remember when there was. Do you remember when they changed the way that Google ranked pages based on whether you used responsive design, Google oh, Armageddon yes. or something? Yeah. Do you remember this? Like it was a few years ago. Yeah. Basically, what it meant was that everybody had to get their heads around responsive design who maybe hadn't caught up with it. And that was a major shift. So I was at Birkbeck at the time. And basically, we didn't have a fully responsive website at that point. But it was one of the things that kickstarted our digital transformation project. And it was a moment in time where we thought we have to do this thing. This is an opportunity for us to actually do a whole lot of other stuff that we want to do because it's a massive change. And so we all had to learn about responsive design. And so there's always opportunities to learn, but I really, I, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. <laughs> in your work in GDS, do they have any standards that you have to follow or adhere to? Oh, oh yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> It, it won't surprise you. It is the civil service. But the gov.uk style and design guidelines that we work to, they underpin all of the work on gov.uk and everyone who publishes on gov.uk is expected to follow them. So mm -hmm. that's fairly standard. But we're not alone. We're not the only ones who follow this. So these guidelines are used by governments and other institutions around the world. So. Oh. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of places will will basically go to the gov.uk style and design guidelines and they will use that as the basis of their own house style or their own design because oh, that's they're good. really comprehensive. They're excellent, actually. So, yeah, so we do have to follow them. In previous roles, I actually created these sorts of guidelines because it's really important that you have a consistent style across the web because you don't want to distract people. Yeah. House style is usually political kind of topic though you know there are people who have very very strong views about this and i can understand that because of course style is very personal but on the web you have to put your own feelings to one side basically the point is we don't want to put a break in anyone's journey on this and if you have inconsistency that can stop someone so yeah it's really important that everybody adheres to it yeah exactly as you've been working in the sphere of web content for about 20 years what do you think about how it's changed in that time? And what are you excited about? Yeah, well, 20 years in the web, like unbelievable change. So when I started working uh, on the birthday website, um, people just thought that content appeared by magic and that nobody really had to be involved. You just needed technical developers to be involved. And anyone could publish anything uh, in an organization. They didn't have to worry about it. Things like house style, editing, proofreading. These were all seen as belonging to print space, so they weren't yeah. seen as a digital, an element of digital. So that has completely changed and for the better, because we now know an awful lot about how people engage with digital content, including how short their attention span is. So digital content design is now a recognized and valued profession, as it should be. Uh, 
because you can't count on a captive audience on the web, so you really should be doing your best to make sure that your content enables people to do what they came to do. So it's really important. But I think looking forward, I think the big change, one of the big changes, there's lots of things coming our way, but one of the big changes that I would reflect on is it comes with the proliferation of content channels and the fact that people are reading content in all kinds of places, not just your website, whether that's social media or Google search or your glasses or your brain chip or whatever it is, people are actually engaging with your content out of context. And so the idea of having a website that everyone has to come to in order to find out stuff is becoming increasingly obsolete. Yeah. And um, so in terms of web design, this is going to require a massive change to the way we prepare and publish content and a complete rethink of what a website is for. So if we're in the business of pushing information out to people, that brings up a lot of questions like where should that information sit? How should we prepare it? How do we ensure that it's presented in a way that doesn't leave out any critical information? These are all really big questions. Yeah. And, and I'm really excited about it because I think, you know, it's the next big thing. I've always loved the fact that digital content design requires constant learning. And this is just one more thing to add to the list. Yeah. It's the next big challenge. I think so. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Are you the, a member of any professional organizations as part of what you do? I'm not actually a member of any professional organization, but I'm a really huge believer in the value of networking. And so at Birkbeck, I started the Women's Network, and I'm now co-chair of the GDS Women's Network because it's just so important. Networking is so important. So as a content specialist in the civil service, I'm part of a huge civil service-wide content community. And I'd really definitely recommend that approach because if you're working in content, you need to get a network where you can learn and share from other people like I can. Yeah, exactly. So obviously I'm not a member of ISTC, but it is a professional networking space. I think ISTC is a place that content creators should be looking at, particularly if they're not already part of the network. So I would definitely be looking out for things like ISTC, places that offer training, places that offer opportunities to go and talk to other content creators, because this is where you develop your ideas and you develop your skills. So content design is a collaborative. Content creation comes out of collaboration between two or more people. Yeah. Uh, in order to find the best. So, you know, that that kind of collaboration is really, really valuable and networking can help you actually achieve it. Yeah. So in your work in recruitment, can you tell us about what kind of people you're trying to recruit at the moment for GDS? Yeah, we are currently we're in the process of recruiting content design staff at all levels. So we have three wow. levels of content designers, junior content designers, midweight content designers and then senior content designers. And uh, the responsibilities and the tasks that are required at each level are different. But uh, as I said, it's such a dynamic space that we're, we constantly have vacancies that we need to fill. So we are actually just closing, I think, the last of our ads. But we are going to be doing recruitment at least three times a year. So if you do a search for GDS content design, you will come across our careers information. And I'd really recommend that you have a look for it. But we advertise on civil service jobs. If you're interested in working in the civil service, I would say this is the place that you need to look. Content design work is um, advertised there. We also advertise on LinkedIn and we are really, really looking for people from all all kinds of backgrounds, not just the civil service, in order to help us keep gov.uk up to date and accurate and relevant to the people who are reading it. Great stuff. 
do you get real job satisfaction knowing that you're providing the information for the nation, basically? No, absolutely. I mean, it's such a privilege to actually work on a website like Gov.UK because everyone you know is looking at the content that you're engaged with. And certainly in the last year, the information that we have been publishing has been absolutely critical to the nation and it continues to be. So it's kind of, you know, if you sort of sit back and you take a look at it, you think, wow, this is really quite incredible. I think one of the first things I worked on was something where I think 300,000 people looked at it in one day. And I thought I've never, I had never worked on anything that that many people had looked at yeah. and, and then done a thing that I put on this page. So, you know, there is a real thrill that you're working on this kind of stuff. And so many people are engaging with it. So yeah, absolutely. It is the thrill. Great. So if people look on LinkedIn and civil service jobs. Yes. And just to say that we are not the only department in the civil service that's looking for content designers. Obviously, we want you to apply for the government digital service, but there are <laughs> brilliant content. There are brilliant content design opportunities across the civil service and you'd be part of the community that we're all part of. And I really recommend it for anyone who's looking to make a change or just do something different. So there's lots of opportunities. So really, really recommend it. Good to know. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was really fascinating, Jane. Thank you very much. If you want to get in touch with Jane, you can find her on LinkedIn. Just search for Jane Van Der Ban. Yes, thank you very much. And if Jane has piqued your interest in any of the roles or in working for government digital services, then go to uh, Civil Service Jobs or search for GDS Content Design. And of course, you can contact Jane on LinkedIn. And now for some news. TC World Conference is taking place this month over two weeks from the 8th to the 19th of November. Based in Europe, it's the world's largest conference for technical communication with 175 presentations, workshops and meetups and 200 speakers. There are a range of ticket options, including free access to technology days, fair and showrooms. Register for tickets at TC World Conference tcom that's spelled t-e-k-o-m dot d-e the next tcuk online webinar is presented by andrea flolid senior technical comms manager at arm based in austin texas andrea will talk about the relationship between customer experience cx and employee experience ex this takes place on thursday the 18th of november at 4 p.m Please note the later time of 4 p.m. instead of the usual lunchtime slot. To join the webinar, email istc at istc.org.uk and request the link. Join us next month when both Imogen and myself will be interviewing Brian Dagnall, a communications consultant, fellow of the ISTC and our ISTC mentor. It's going to be a fascinating interview. Don't miss it. If you have a question about the podcast, email me at istc at istc.org.uk. A new episode of this podcast is released on the last Friday of every month. I want to thank Jane Van Der Ban for being my interviewee today, and thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. You can find out more about the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators at istc.org.uk, or just search ISTC on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to tune in next month.
Goodbye.